Not noted in the Bible for his wealth nor for his fame. And Jesus walked upon this earth, Peter was his friend. He vowed to stay at Jesus' side until the very end. Three times he said he didn't know you. Three times and then the rooster crowed. Three times just as you had said then Peter wept in shame and hung his head. Sitting by the lake at dawn Hands held to the coals Warmth that fell by fingers Doesn't reach the burdened soul Loneliness weighs heavy Past events are on his mind and Jesus comes and Peter now Can leave the past behind Times he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times and Peter answered yes. Three times just like once before. And Peter knew it was his heart, the master soul. As you can see, the words of that song capture this uh, time that we're going to be looking at today in Peter's life, a time uh, that rounds out for us our, our series looking at Peter as someone who's following Jesus before he becomes an apostle. So let me pray for us as we open up scripture. Lord, we, we're so mindful that um, stories such as Peter's have seasons, have chapters, and uh, we look at the close of a chapter at this point in time as well in Peter's life, which reminds us that our own life can have those seasons and chapters as well. And we just want to pray, Lord, that you'd be able to remind us that chapters close and chapters open and that you are the God of new beginnings. And so, Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding today, uh, that we may be able to meet with you in a real way this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, our hero, Peter, our hero, Peter, last week we looked at how it was that uh, he, he let himself down. And uh, as a 
as somebody who had devoted himself to be a follower of Jesus, had committed his own life to this whole deal of discipleship, he, with earnestness, said to Jesus, I will die for you. And then when he was put under pressure, we find that Peter did anything but. He ran, okay, he ran. And so this morning I've titled the message, uh, What We Do When We Don't. What We Do When We Don't. What we do when we don't fulfill the things that we expect of ourselves, what we do when we don't fulfill the word of God that has come to us, or in respect to Peter, that sense of call that he had to be able to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. This is all coming unstuck pretty quickly for him, wasn't it? And so this morning, as we look at this, we need to also look at ourselves, because this is the whole deal with Scripture, is that we get to see these characters who look so much like us, who have huge successes, have disappointing failures. But it's in the failure that we really want to learn from Peter, isn't it? Because success breeds success, and everybody can deal with success, but failure is a whole different deal. Failure is a whole different deal when it comes to us understanding what we're going to do with that failure, how we're going to get through it, and what difference that will make in our lives if we can get beyond it. So this morning, I just want to take us back to that point of failure where Peter was in this essentially a courtroom environment outside. Peter was there witnessing what would be a trial for Jesus, where he was going to be tried for heresy and then ultimately crucified. Peter was in the crowd, and the final little portion of this went like this. It said, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Okay, Peter denied him now for the third time. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. So what we're seeing here is, is something that we wrestled with last week and this whole issue of shame. Peter was ashamed of his own behaviors. And yet when we look at this shame and where it come from, it certainly was about his own failings, keeping up, failing to keep up with his own promises to Jesus that he would not let Jesus down, he would die with him. But we look specifically at this little sentence there where it said, Jesus, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And we discussed how it is and how easy it is to project our own experience into that look. We've all had the look, haven't we? Okay, I suggested that school teachers do a class in the look. This is how, as a school teacher, you can uh, x-ray vision some 12-year-old into submission, just with the look. But what we do when we read Scripture is we project our own experience upon these sorts of things, and we assume that the look Jesus gave to Peter was one of those burn-your-heart-out looks or burn-into-your-eyes look of disappointment or disgust. Because at some point in our life, we've probably had that look from somebody. And so what we do is we project that on Jesus because we know Jesus must have been disappointed with Peter and therefore we assume that that was Jesus' final act towards Peter at this time, was that look of disgust or contempt. And Peter walks out and he walks away and he starts to weep bitterly. Because of the look, we're not sure, but certainly because of his own disappointment with himself. And the word bitterly, 
In this case, is an overpowering emotion of disappointment, self-hatred, and shame. Now, there's shame that is healthy, because there's shame that brings you to a point of repentance. When you realize all of a sudden that you've let God down, you've let yourself down, you've let others around you down, and you're ashamed of your own, uh, own actions or words. But that point then becomes a stepping stone to renewal, okay? Through repentance, you are not to stay there. You're not to stay in that place of shame. Because if you feel that your life is just a summary of shameful events, then the work of the cross hasn't done its full work in your life. Because your sin should be cast away as far as the east is from the west, but the problem is, even though in our heads we're forgiven from these shameful events, we still drag the shame along. And we have this sense in which you might like me, but if only you knew me. And it's that that God wants to get rid of. It's that that he sent his son to die for. It's so vitally important. Vitally important for us to be able to reconcile that our shame has actually been paid for on the cross. Not just the, the technical legal stuff of a sin being forgiven and we stand before God with a clean rap sheet. Not just that, but the impact of what sin has done in our lives. The shame that we carry. We need to realize that this too has been paid for. And this is really, really important. And it's all coming to, to, um, to be seen here in Peter's life. Um, what I really appreciate about some people uh, who really succeed well is the ability to get up and get going and to have another go. And there's lots of different stories around of people in the past, like Edison, who invented the light bulb after 5,000 different attempts. And he said, I now know 5,000 ways in which light bulbs don't work. Okay, so he, he did this. Another guy, more of our generation, is the inventor of Tesla, or the guy who got Tesla cars underway. But he's also got another deal going with uh, SpaceX. Okay, they've got this amazing uh, facility in the States there where they're trying to not only get things into outer space, but because we live in this ideal environment of environmentalism, he wants the rockets that send this projectile up through the atmosphere to be able to return safely and be used again. You know how it was in the, in the NASA days in the 60s and 70s? The Apollo missions would shoot up through the atmosphere and the rockets would fall off into the ocean and they were done for. They were ruined. They left there to rot. Well, these ones are being invented in such a way that they return to the ground, ready to be used again. But it hasn't always been that way. Um, so here's a rocket that was returning. Okay? Yeah. So you can see... Elon Musk has had his tragedies. Of course, he's had his triumph as well. But the way that he described when things go wrong really impressed me. He called this failure a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. <laughs> Do you like that? I like that. How many of you have ever had a rapid, unscheduled disassembly? Yeah? I have. I've had plenty of them. Yeah. And for Peter, I think this is a really good description of what happened to his faith or what happened to his self-confidence. In that moment, after that rooster cried and Jesus looked at him, he was reminded of his failure, how far he had fallen from his own confession of wanting to be someone who would stand with Jesus and die with Jesus and now even denied him. So for Peter, he had this rapid, unscheduled disassembly of everything that he thought he was capable of doing and being. Yeah? And these things are, are, are deeply disturbing for us 
because we come to grips immediately. It's like a mirror is put up in front of us of whom we really are and what we really consist of. And that is really sobering at best, frightening and deeply shameful at worst. Is that true? That's the human experience. Don't think you suffer this alone. But the most important thing for us as Christians is that we need to own our failures. We need to have this ability to be able to have others speak into our lives without becoming defensive. We need to have the ability for the Word of God to shape us. Um, we're not there about, we're not Christians aren't designed by God to be put in a place where we're wanting to just fool everybody. We all struggle. We all are challenged at different times. We all have things that can tempt us away from this Christian life which we aspire to. Um, Years ago, when I was a young fellow, I was rowing, and um, our crew, it was a four, um, we were racing in the under-19 category, so that's how young I was. Um, I was under-19. And we'd been winning everything all season. And so we came to the North Island Champs, and there we were, true to form, about a length and a half in front with 200 metres to go, and uh, could hear the crowd roaring us on, everything was going well, and I caught a crab. That's a technical term for you can't get your oar out of water. Okay, and I recovered pretty quickly, but it was just enough for the Waikato crew to go and pipped us at the post, and so we came second instead of first. Deeply disappointing. Afterwards, we spoke with a coach, uh, Ted Phelps, who's the owner of the service station out at Tapuna there, garage, Ted's still working hard out there. And he came up to us and he said, guys, you know, you made a mistake. Uh, And I said, no, no, they didn't make a mistake, I made the mistake. I had to own the fact that I let the team down. And um, for one guy in particular, he was said, we are 200 metres away from, from me winning the first medal I'd ever would have won. And I was like, well, that makes me feel better, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, rub it in. But you've got to own these things. You've got to own these things. Okay, so, I mean, when we talk about shame, this time next week, where are the South Africans amongst us? <laughs> It could be a fantastic day for you guys next week. <laughs> we know that has that potential. All right? All right? If you win, I expect you here at the 9 o'clock service, all right? And stay up all night. Okay. So the thing about Peter is that after this event, when he gets deeply, deeply disappointed in himself, there's a whole lot of events that happen. Of course, Jesus is crucified. And then immediately afterwards, or pretty close afterwards, he goes to the tomb And he discovers with John that the tomb is empty. And this creates for him uh, this conundrum of, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Uh, I thought Jesus was well and truly dead. Has somebody stolen his body? But now the women have said that they saw him rise. And so we're really confused. And then a couple of days later, Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. And he shows them physically his scars on his hands. And so this whole world of Peter's is turning upside down. But he's still immersed And the shame is like, okay, the story moves on. Jesus has come back to life. He's been resurrected. But that doesn't graft me immediately back into the story. For Peter, he was still deeply disappointed in himself. And how do we know this? Because Peter went back to do what he's always done. Okay? He went back to the familiar. And that's very easy for us to do, isn't it? When we get disappointed in ourselves, we just say, well, I've tried, I did my best, I, I just go back to what I can do, I go back to what I know, and leave it at that. 
Now, Peter being a leader, he actually had six others go with him. And this is the critical part. See, his leadership gift hadn't changed. He was still a leader. And uh, for many of us, we're in that situation where you too might be natural leaders, and where you go, others will go also. So you have to be very, very careful. But here is Peter at this time, now back at the lake, uh, having had this rapid, unscheduled disassembly of his faith, and he's now back out there rowing, looking for fish. Peter's confidence is yoked to how he perceives Jesus how he perceives Jesus' acceptance of him. Bit of a cumbersome sentence there. But that's true for all of us. And that's why it's so vital that when we read Scripture, that we don't project upon it our own human experience, but we are seeing what Scripture says to us, or doesn't say to us in some cases. And so here is Peter dwelling, living in self-pity and shame. And so we find ourselves now having to pick up the story again because there's a whole lot of work that has to be done in Peter's life before he can move on to be of any use to God, any use to Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples not realized that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Right. Do you, do you, do you feel an, or hear an echo here of something that's happened some years before? What's the echo of? The echo is the time that Peter and John and others were called to be followers of Jesus. Remember they were fishing and they'd been out all night and Jesus said, just go out and throw your net overboard. And so they went and did that and they caught this huge number of fish. And in that moment was Peter who got off the boat, fell to his knees and, and, and said, Jesus, you're my Lord. You know, he, he knew that there was something going on in this guy, but he hadn't fully worked it all out. But he just knew he was in the, the presence of, of God. So here we have three and a half years later, almost an exact representation of what happened when Peter was first called. And I think this is done for a purpose. This is done to say to Peter and to the disciples and us who read it, hey, we can retell this story. We can retell this story. I mean, there are times in your lives maybe where you're having a difficulty with your relationships. You know, you might be having a difficulty with your marriage. And so it can be an investment to go back to a favorite restaurant or a favorite place where you had a holiday, to recapture some of those good experiences that you had, to rebuild and to refocus and to remind yourself of where you've been and what you've had in the past. Jesus was doing this with Peter. He was reminding Peter that he was once called, and guess what? We're going to start a process now where I'm going to call you back again. I'm going to call you back again. And, and for some of you this morning, this could be really, really important. Because you've disappointed yourself or others. You've let yourself down. And now you're in your own heart of hearts. You've disqualified yourself from what might be a potential that God has for you. And God is interested in your availability. Okay, it's not your ability, it's your availability first. If he has your availability and you're prepared to give him a heart that is open, 
and your character can be worked on and things that you say are yours become God's, then, then there's no limit. And this is the process that Peter is going through at the moment. He doesn't realize what's to come. What we know, though, what we know, and this is really important, is that the time between the rooster crying and now an incredibly significant event has happened. Jesus has gone to the cross. The shepherd has become the lamb, the lamb of God who was crucified for our sins. And that's all well in theory, but now we're getting to see how this works in the real world. This is the first application of forgiveness, of restoration from sinfulness or shame that we find in Scripture. This is how it's being outworked now in Peter's life because he's going to be restored. And the the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of having your shame nailed to the cross is now being offered to Peter. So let's read further how it goes. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And so here we have this beginning of, of a whole new chapter in Peter's life. What seems like the end feels like the beginning. And friends, you've got to give yourself these opportunities. This remains a story in Scripture that has no power in your life unless you allow it to. Unless you can say, I need that, and it's there for the taking, and I'm going to take it, I'm going to receive it for myself. Unless you allow that to happen in your life, then you'll stay one step removed from everything that God wants for you. And that, my friends, is a really, really important part of what the Christian life is all about. So let's, um, let's just push on to find this story where, it, where uh, Peter gets restored. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So there's a, there's a lot of detail in that passage um, with respect to the different words of love that are used. Jesus asks him essentially three different questions, but we can, we can only interpret those words as love three times. It's filia love, which is brotherly love. It's agape love, which is a love for all people. And so you've got this different question loaded up with different words of slightly different significance. But all the times that Peter has asked these questions, what's happening, I think, is that because there were three times that Peter denied Jesus, 
is a sense in which three times Peter is being forgiven. You see, we've got to again interpret what's happening in this conversation. Is this three times that Peter is being punished by having his sin exposed to him? Is like, do you love me? Uh, yeah, I love you. Now, come on, do you really love me? And then the third time, do you really love me? Again, we can project upon this conversation, again, some of our own negative experiences. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Um, three times punished, or is it three times restored? Three times Jesus goes to Peter and says, I have hope for you. You're going to feed my sheep. I have confidence in you. You will feed my lambs. Yeah? And this is... Um, this is becomes increasingly obvious to us when we ask the question, who's recording this event? We're in John's gospel when we read this. John was significantly younger than Peter. But John captures what's going on here for all of us because why he sees the leadership that Peter has been given. He knows the story that Peter's been given the keys to the kingdom. He has a responsibility, he has a role to play. God has a plan literally for his life as to what he will do. And John records this event of what is going on in Peter's life because he knows that it's so vitally important. It's unusual, isn't it? It's unusual. Because there's so much detail being written by a young, or was a young man at the time, of what it is that is going on in somebody else's life, that he has to record it, he has to show it, and he has to prove that the cross and salvation and forgiveness and resurrection power is available to everyone, and it begins with the disciples, and it begins with Peter, who goes on to be a mountain of a man in the faith. And the reason why he became a mountain is because it happened at the shore of the Lake Galilee. It began there with, again, I'm sure Peter was getting eyeballed by Jesus, but the eyes would have been ones of love, would have been ones of hope, would have been ones of faith, would have been ones of confidence, would have been ones of resurrection. All the things that we need to get ourselves up and beyond what we often think of ourselves. Why is that so important? Because what we think Jesus perceives of us is going to be uh, determining our future. And if we write ourselves off just thinking we're unworthy, we're shameful beasts and beings, then that is where we will stay. And we'll spend our life just masquerading, masking, hiding all of these things from others who don't know, but only you and God know. So deal with it, get on with it, move on with the plan that God has for you. But let's also remind ourselves that um, this story doesn't end here. When next week, we're going to start a whole new series looking at Peter being a leader. But Peter's restoration is not Jesus' end game plan. The counselor within me goes, that's wonderful. Jesus has had an opportunity to restore Peter's confidence. He's now had his shame dealt with he has been forgiven and he has been restored. But that's not the reason why he was restored. He wasn't restored just so he could have his well-being restored to him or his confidence restored to him. He was restored because there was a plan and the plan was mission. Okay? And that's for all of us. Don't feel that 
when you meet with God and everything is dealt with, your sins are forgiven and you have a real sense of peace about your identity and who you are in God, that that is the end of the game. That is not the end. That is just the beginning. You are made whole. You are made complete in Christ so that you can move forward to be his ambassador. You become a living story, a living testimony of what it is that God can do with somebody's life. And for all the shameful things that you might have experienced in the past, some of them other people will be aware of, but you can know that that doesn't count against you. You should know that that is just the beginning place. I don't like using the word should, but amen. We're just at the beginning of something here with Peter, and we need to understand this for ourselves. So I want to I just sort of um, bring us to a place now where we can Realize that this is not the end, it's just the end of the beginning. It's just the end of the beginning. The good stuff is about to come. Okay? We've got eight weeks where we're going to look at the book of Acts largely, and this disheveled, unscheduled disassembly of a man is going to blow your mind about what his life will become once he is empowered with the Spirit and his confidence is there for all to see as he goes on. So the question is, what we do when we don't? The story could have finished, couldn't it? It could have finished with Peter getting in the boat with his buddies and just rowing into the distance. Okay? Would have been a great way to finish a sad Hollywood story, okay? And the sun sets, okay? Sun sets and the credits roll. But it wasn't to be the case. See, the message was all about the church. The message was all about starting a movement. The message is all about Jesus' power coming upon people's lives. And he had to take people who had been disassembled, he had to take people who had been broken, and prove to them that this reassembly of the cross, forgiveness, resurrection, works. He didn't want, Jesus didn't want perfect people to just live a perfect life and then go off and preach a perfect gospel. What Jesus was looking for, and he created through Peter's life, was a person who was broken, messed up, devastated, shame-filled. And he took him, and he forgave him, and he put him back in a place that he'd always projected he would be. And he said, I want to give you the keys to the kingdom. Here they are. I remind you that you've got them. And from here on in, you're going to go, and you're going to do something that will just change the world forever. And we look at Peter's life, and we just go, wow, how does that happen? How does that happen? Only God can make that happen. If shame is going to hold you back, if your personal disappointments are going to hold you back, then really you're just like the setting sun and the credits are going to roll. It's just so vitally important. I can't emphasize it enough that you don't let the enemy have the final victory in the things that we call shame. Don't let the enemy rob you of the life that God has for you because you're still dragging this bag of shame around. Yeah, you know, you're forgiven. You know, when you meet with the Lord, it's all sorted. We've got that 
ledger cleared, the invoices paid for it. But I'm still dragging this rubbish around. I can't let it go. This is what the story is all about. This is what Peter's story is recorded for us for, is to show us what can happen when we get this stuff dealt with. And so this morning, um, I just really want us to be able to think, reflect, feel deeply about this in our own lives. Um, And I, I think maybe it's a time for us to be able to just own this. This is the stuff that kills the church. This is the stuff that kills mission. This is the stuff that causes you to live a half, sort of half a life rather than the fullness of what God has for you. So I'm going to invite you all to stand this morning. We're just going to take a moment to reflect on this. I know I'm talking about some really deep and often sensitive stuff. Um, and it's all within your heart. It's all within your memory. Memories could be two days old. They could be 22 two years old. Um, but these are really, really important things. Let's close our eyes. Father, as we look at the story, we come before you today knowing that there have been those who have gone before us, who have wrestled with the same things that we wrestle with, have let ourselves down in the same way we've let ourselves down. And yet you provide a doorway of hope. You provide a promise. You provide forgiveness. And Lord, I just want to pray that you would appropriate to give to every person that forgiveness as we see in our mind's eye our own sins nailed to the cross. As we see our shame paid for. Not just the act, but the residual effect of those acts. We, we, see, we see that shame nailed to the cross. And in doing so, Lord, we, we know that we are indeed a new creation. Not just the idea of a new creation, but a whole new being. And as we are going to see very soon in the weeks ahead, how Peter's life becomes an absolute transformation because his shame is dealt with. We too, Lord, we want that to be our story. We thank you, Lord, that we, we can live in the power of your resurrection, that we can live by the power of your spirit. And in doing so, Lord, we, we glorify you and we become the people of the kingdom, people of mission, people of vitality, who live forever grateful of what you've done, for what you've done. So Lord, we, uh, in our mind's eye, we just want to nail those sins of shame to the cross. We want to ask for the blood of Christ to, to cleanse them fully, purge our souls, purge our minds, cleanse us. Let us be fully, fully forgiven, fully, fully restored, fully open to your call. So as we worship, uh, for some, you might want to just have someone pray with you. So I just want to ask our prayer team to come to the front now. Um, again, I said last week, don't, don't feel you've got to go and have prayer. And the first thing you've got to do is tell somebody what you've been hiding. But 
but indeed just take the opportunity to have prayer just have someone stand with you and speak those words of forgiveness over you in the name of Jesus or maybe you just want to come to the front and um, and just kneel before God opportunity is yours no shame Amen